Amen. How's everybody doing? Good to be with you. I love it. It's a little bit of applause as we get going. This is going to be a good day. So I have been spending, um, I've been spending a few months reading the Gospels. Uh, who would have thought, you know, the preacher reading the Gospels. But I, I plan on I plan on actually reading them for a while. I'm staying in the Gospels for a while. I'm reading the stories of Jesus, and not because we're doing a Jesus series, although that helps. Um, so it's not for message prep. It's because I want to read the want to read the Bible, and I want to read the Gospels. Uh, who would have thought? You know, I mean, anybody else kind of read the Bible because you want to? Um, and in case you're not, all the cool kids are doing it. Um, it's the coolest. I was just I just love spending time in the stories of Jesus. Um, I actually want to be impacted by them. I actually purchased the new Bible recently so I could read through the Gospels without previous highlighted scriptures and, and notes in them because then I'm like, re- they, when I read by my old, I love the old Bible, I love all the notes, but I wanted to read it like with a fresh encounter, you know what I mean? So I'm not going, oh yeah, I remember when I read that or whatever. And, I, and I'm influenced by what I highlighted 17 years ago, you know what I mean? And so this time I'm reading it and it's almost like I get to encounter it for the first time and and re-highlight verses or, or, or rediscover and get new fresh eyes on different verses. And I, it's just good. It's just good to read stories of Jesus and to be impacted by them. And when you're going through the Gospels, one of the things you'll notice right away is that there's so many different encounters that Jesus has with people. <laughs> I mean, most of, there's a lot of teaching from Jesus. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things to learn in there, but there's also just a lot of story about these encounters between Jesus and and humanity. And it's this kind of this humanity encountering the divine, which is just this really remarkable thing that we get to see because humanity and all of its needs and all of its shortcomings experiences hope rushing in uh, through this encounter with God in the flesh, Jesus. Which, by the way, for us today, these, these, these stories, these encounters serve as a reminder to us that, that Jesus is, is always allowing hope to rush in, that there's always this desire of God by the divine to have encounters with us, his, his humanity. And so today, I, want to walk, I actually want to talk briefly about a few different encounters that I feel like speak to some of what the Lord is doing in our church, because I actually believe the Lord is doing a lot in our church. I think the Spirit's kind of doing a, cool, a lot of cool work in a church, and a lot of you would agree with that, wouldn't you? You can nod your head if you agree with that. That's really been a really cool thing. If you have experienced it or you've seen it or you've, you, you know what I'm talking about when you say, hey, it just feels like there's something new happening in a good way. It's not new in terms of new to God, but new to us. And there is also some of us in this room, though, that would say, you know, I don't know. I don't I haven't necessarily, it's just church. It's just like kind of what it's always been. And maybe you're here today and you would say, I haven't had any sort of unique breakthrough in my life or anything like that. It just kind of, and what I would tell you and encourage you with is if you want more of God, I would ask you to start paying attention. And what I mean by that, not that you're not, but paying attention in a, in a little more alert way, even as I said during worship, paying attention to the lyrics of songs and letting them kind of come into your heart. And, and, and then asking the Lord, Lord, I want a fresh encounter with you. I want, to, I want to experience you uh, in, in a way that pushes me forward. I would, I would encourage you to do that and, and to see what happens and trust the new things that sort of come up with that. So, like I said, reading through the Bible, reading through the Gospels, get these encounters. I want to talk about four encounters today. Um, that's quite a bit of ground, actually, to try and cover in one message, which is, uh, you know, kind of what I do too often around here. So we'll see what time we get out of here. Um, but... These are the four encounters. 
Uh, I want to talk about the disciples after the crucifixion. I want to talk about Zacchaeus. I want to talk about the bleeding woman. And I want to talk about the woman at the well. And we're going to do all of them in one day. Here we go. So um, turn with me to John chapter 4, verse number 19. Um, like I said, we're going to take most of our time probably on these stories, but then we're going to end up in a really cool place, I think. Uh, John chapter 20, verse 19. This is, this is after Jesus was resurrected. We find this story. On the evening of the first day of the week, which is Sunday, right? And which is, by the way, the day he was resurrected. Uh, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. So again, this is after the crucifixion. The disciples had actually already received word from Mary that Jesus had been resurrected. Mary came and reported to the disciples, hey, Jesus is alive. Uh, the angel told me. And so where are the disciples? Again, they, they've heard this news. Where are the disciples? They are obviously out partying in the streets with pinatas, telling everybody that Jesus is alive, right? No. They are behind locked doors, and they're afraid. I want to show you another part of this story. It's actually over in Luke. So if you're flipping in Bibles, it's going to be a fun day. You get to flip a lot. Luke chapter 24, verse 36, or you're just going to watch on screen. I'm just going to do all the flipping for you in a good way when I say flipping. This is the same moment from John 20, but it gives us some other details, okay? Verse 36, while they were still uh, talking about this, meaning Jesus and what Mary had told them about, right? Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you, as he said before. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. So they are behind locked doors, right? And they are full of doubt as well as fear. They have an encounter with Jesus these are his closest followers. These are the ones who did ministry with him for years, and they knew him best, and they're full of fear and doubt, aren't they? How many of you know that fear and doubt's a pretty real thing when it comes to following God? Anybody with me? We're fearful to step into the, themes, the, the things that seem crazy, and a lot of times the things of the Lord seem a little crazy to us. The disciples heard he had been resurrected, and instead of being filled with courage and faith, they were sitting in fear and doubt. So many of us are anchored to the status quo because of the impact of fear and doubt. That's us in this room. We think, oh, I believe in God. But believing in the things of God, <laughs> believing in the things that God wants to do in and through us, or God wants to do in this world, that's the hard things to believe. Are you with me? Oh, yeah, God exists, but does God really do that? And we get to start relating with that story in the Bible where the Father says, Lord, help me with my unbelief. So many of us, this is real. We hit a wall in our relationship with God where we gladly embrace the gift of salvation, but we live in fear and doubt towards the things of the Spirit. Does that resonate with anybody? We gladly embrace the gift of salvation and believe in it, but we struggle in fear and doubt with the things of the Spirit and the things that the Spirit wants to do. I want to show you a picture. 
<laughs> this is me. <laughs> so this is, this is my very first sermon. I'm so glad. I think my wife, who was not, we had been dating a few months at the time, took this picture of me. Um, there's so many hilarious things going on in this picture I'm going to tell you about. So, so first of all, this is in 1998, almost 20 years to the day from whenever we stand here today, which is pretty cool. 20 years ago, I gave my first sermon, right? So that's awesome. And um, so, like I said, a lot of hilarious things going on in this picture. Everything from my, my, my frame with an XL Abercrombie t-shirt and carpenter jean look that I was going with. Um, I don't know if you can see this. You can't really, but behind that really large music stand is a piece of paper that's folded up. So obviously I had my notes in my pocket and I you know, unfolded them on that transparent <laughs> music stand that was made for a giant. It's the hugest thing I've ever seen. Um, anyway, I remember this moment so vividly. I was, I, was, I was actually incredibly nervous, incredibly scared. I was shaking in my Doc Martens, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> My wife gave me that joke. Um, and by the way, that, this first message was an absolute disaster. Uh, I, I remember it was one of those where you, you ever heard someone that says, um, a lot? And they're, yeah, like 300 times in that one talk or something like that. I remember botching my opening joke. Like I planned this joke at, I it totally ruined it. The thing about sermon jokes, it's all about timing. And I was like literally off the clock. I had no <laughs> timing. It was, it was a bad thing. And I wasn't just fearful, because public speaking is a, is a scary thing a lot of times when you don't do it often. And I remember thinking, though, that I, I remember thinking I couldn't, I didn't even know what this, I, I didn't know anything about the Bible then. It was really weird. Like, I became a Christian at like 14 years old. I didn't really study the Bible. And so I remember thinking up there, like, I just remember going, I'm not really ready for this. I was scared, and I was full of doubts. And you know the great thing about that moment, though? is that God did something in that moment that maybe it wasn't just that moment, maybe it was a number of moments in that season of life that I was in, or I wasn't, for whatever reason, I think it was by the work of the Lord, I'm going to say I know it was by the work of the Lord, that I wasn't going to sit in fear and doubt behind locked doors, um, but I was going to come from behind the doors and step into something that only God could do. Did you know that everything in the world that's ever been done by uh, by the work of God has been, for the most part, been done through humanity, done through people, God working in people. A bunch of people who are very ordinary people, by the way, but then God uses them to do extraordinary things. And if it were up to any of us to rely on our mind, talents, or our brains to actually do something in this world that would last, um, <laughs> we wouldn't get very far. I want you to see what, what Jesus does with these disciples when they're, they're sitting in fear and doubt. Listen to what he does. It's John chapter 20, verse 21. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And this is a big moment. Jesus gives them the Spirit. Later on, Jesus would call this a gift from the Father and in the coming days, they would come to understand that this gift that was coming to them was going to empower them to do some miraculous things, right? But this was actually what they would have the courage to come from behind the locked doors, go into the world, and actually do the things that God had given them the ability to do. So fear and doubt had gripped the disciples. In fact, 
It had gripped them so intensely that it had sidelined them. It had sat them on the bench. They were doing nothing, and they were sitting behind a locked door, right? And Jesus shows up, and he has an encounter with these people. He has an encounter with his disciples. And he says, I'm going to give you something. Remember today I said we're going to sit in a posture of receiving. He said, I'm going to give you something. And he breathes on them the Holy Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. So this is very interesting. We'll come back to this in a a moment, but I want to get to this second encounter. We're going to keep kind of walking through these encounters. For Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. (laughs) Anyone know this one? Yeah. All right. Luke 19, uh, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho, and he was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was very rich. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was wee, a short little man, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree. This is like a poem. To see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once, and he welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be a guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of, now remember this, what he does here. I'll talk about this in a second. How, how I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and save the lost. All right, so a quick insight into the story. Uh, Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. Now, if you know much about tax collectors, you probably have heard it a little bit before, so I'll briefly just explain in case you don't. Tax collectors are mentioned many times throughout the Gospels. For some reason, they represent a particular type of person, a particular type of group that is often um, referenced. And the reason is, is the tax collector is possibly the most despised person in the community. And, and the reason is because that person would have been seen as a traitor. They would have been a Jewish person who went to work for the Roman government. And they would have went to go and start collecting taxes from the people. And so these guys were big, they were mean, they would go to people, bang on doors, pin people against walls, and demand that they pay their taxes. But then, on top of that, they didn't just collect taxes for the Roman government, they would go, and if the Roman government said, hey, we need 20 denarii a month in taxes, they would go and they would spike the cost, and they would say, you owe 40, and they would keep the other 20 for themselves. So they were literally robbing and stealing from their own countrymen. These were the big bad bullies on the playground that took everybody's lunch money, and then some, right? These, were, these people were hated. And here, they were the worst kind of people. And here is Zacchaeus. He is the chief of the tax collectors, meaning he is the worst of the worst, right? Nobody likes this guy. Everybody hates this guy. And so everybody's going, why is Jesus going to his house? Why is Jesus hanging out with, he can hang out with anybody, but not that guy. Why is he going to his house? Why is he spending time with him? Look at this verse. And it says at the very end there, it says, Today, this, today's salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son 
of man came to seek and save the lost. Now, Zacchaeus was lost, which is an interesting word. I feel like the word lost needs a little bit of a refined definition. For years, Christians have identified anyone who doesn't know Jesus by this label and this word as lost. And it comes from verses like this, but it's come in other ways as well. But I just want to acknowledge that I know that some people don't really like a label put on them. You know what I'm talking about? And this one, particularly, somebody doesn't want because the label lost can feel like, oh, the person's wandering around. They don't know where they're going. Uh, you know, they're, they're desperate to find their way out. And so when someone labels them lost, they're like, I'm not lost. Because people who don't know Jesus, they probably don't say they're lost. They feel like they're good. I mean, Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. He was a very good leader. He was someone that had been successful. He had made a lot of money. Do you think he would have used the word lost to describe himself? No. He wouldn't have said lost. So here's what I would say about that. As Christians, we need to be sensitive to how we use the word lost because people, cannot, people who aren't ready to hear it may think that you're saying something that isn't true about them and offensive about them. However, we also need to refine the understanding of the word lost because Jesus uses it differently than we understand it. When Jesus says in the scriptures that he's lost, when you encounter Jesus and you have a true encounter with Jesus, it's like you are actually found by God. So many people use the terminology when they come to know God. Oh, I found God when I was you know, 15 years old. That's when I found God. You ever heard anybody say something like that? And we feel like we're the ones doing the finding, like God's lost, and then we found him. <laughs> no. God says, Jesus says, I came to seek. What is he doing? Let's just play this in hide-and-seek language, right? He is seeking those who are either in hiding or those who are lost. That's what he's doing. Remember when he says, I leave the 99 to go after the one? You know when he says that he's pursuing us? Anybody that's... Anybody in the room that has a relationship with Jesus, do you remember whenever you first came to know Christ? And I know some of you in here, you're like, well, you know, I kind of grew up and I always believed in Jesus and I've just surrendered to him like forever. Okay. But a lot of us had a moment in time in our life where we're like, that's when I surrendered my life to him. Nod your head if you like remember that moment when you surrendered your life to God and it was, that, it was a clear moment when you did it. Well, I remember when it happened to me. I was 14 years old and I remember every time I thought about God and every time I went to church, it was like my heart was burning. You know what I'm talking about? Like I had this conviction going on in my life that I needed to surrender my life to God. And I felt it every time for months. For months I felt this. And, and, and this is, just so you know what that is, that is the pursuit of God on you. God is seeking you out. And you're like, oh my gosh, he's getting close. <laughs> and you can't, you can't, like, you can't get it off of you. It just is on you. And until I, in my case, talked to my youth pastor and said, hey, I feel like I need to surrender my life to Jesus. I need to, I need to step into his gift of salvation. I need to confess my sin, which we have to do, by the way, confess my sin before the Father and ask him to come and save me. Until I did that, I just had this conviction in my life, and I just kept feeling it for months. Anybody have this happen to them before? This is the pursuit of the Lord on your life. This is God seeking those who are lost. And so whenever, whenever we use this term, we gotta, be, we gotta be understand when we use it, how we use it, who we put it on, 
but understand that it's really about the fact that we don't have any business finding God because he's not lost. He knows exactly where he is, and we're the ones that are wondering, and we're the ones that are seeking lost causes like, what was, what was Zacchaeus doing? A life of success and wealth. It's a lost cause without Jesus being the Lord of it. And so in this encounter, Jesus finds those who are lost. He loves them. So we see salvation come to, we come to see salvation come to Zacchaeus. Turn with me over to Mark chapter 5. We're going to talk about this third encounter. Mark chapter 5, verse 24. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. Him is Jesus. <laughs> and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. How many? Many doctors. And she had spent all she had. How much? <laughs> all. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowds and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that, that at once Jesus realized that power had gotten from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? And then this is this is what the disciples say. You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you asked who touched me? Like, seriously, Jesus? There's a lot of people touching you. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear told him the whole truth, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So this woman has tried everything, right? Many doctors. She spent all she had. She was, she was desperate. That's the word that we can associate with this bleeding woman, is that she was desperate. She was, in some ways, probably seemingly hopeless, but Jesus comes to town and hope glimmers. It's, it's like I said earlier, hope starts to rush in and she believes all she needs to do is touch his cloak. Jesus is aware of her faith that she's exercising. He actually feels his power leave him, which is just a phenomenal thought that he feels that going into this woman. And he's, he then wants to know who, who it was. You know, two weeks ago, a friend here in our church, he came to me and he said, uh, hey, Tim, I have to tell you what happened in church last week. I was like, I love it. I love a good, juicy church story. Bring it. <laughs> and he's like, all right, cool. He said, I, you finished your message and you told people to come forward to pray and we were singing at the end. And, uh, and he said, I felt like the Lord called me to, to trust him with something that I'd never trusted him with before. And I was like, well, what was it? And he said, well, <laughs> in 1976, I was in a war in Zimbabwe. And I almost went, time out, pause, what? <laughs> but we moved on. And I hurt my shoulder, dislocated. It didn't, it didn't heal right. And it's hurt me for 40, I've been in pain, like pain with it for 42 years. I was like, wow, okay. He said, I'd never trusted the Lord with it. He said, I came forward, and I was, you said to come pray with someone, and, and everybody was praying with someone, so I had to wait. <laughs> I was like, that's a good problem. I'm glad you waited. And he said, I was standing there, and we were singing the song, Chains Be Broken. 
And he just said, Lord, I believe you can heal me if you want to do it. I'm asking you to heal me. Just standing right there. And he said the pain in his shoulder that he was feeling that day instantly left. And I was like, and then he said, and then I freaked out. <laughs> he said, I literally left. I left the room. I was like, did you ever come back? He's like, no. He said, I went home. I, I was struggling with it. I was like, Lord, did you really just heal my shoulder? For 42 years, I've been did you really just heal my shoulder? He said he was struggling all day. And he said whenever he had slept on his shoulder in the past, if he woke up in the morning, it would have just really bad pain the next day. So he decided to sleep on it. <laughs> he literally slept on his shoulder. And he woke up the next morning, zero pain. And he said, Lord, forgive me. This is, this is his words to me. He said, I had to repent of my disbelief. He said, then I fasted and worshiped with my wife the rest of the day, which I love it. Yeah, amen? I'm telling you that God's spirit is being, it is moving, it is being poured out in a way that he wants you to hear today, that he wants you to receive something, that you can be set free. What did he say to the, what did the woman there? He said, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Healing comes in all forms. It comes in physical healing. It comes in, it comes in other forms of bondage that we feel that we've felt internally, other types of things that we've been gripped by, whether that be uh, emotional or spiritual types of battles that we've been in that we need to be healed of. Those who are desperate, those who've lost hope, when you encounter Jesus, he brings healing. If you read the Gospels, what do you find Jesus doing all the time? Healing people, like constantly. It's what he does. And you're going, well, does he work the same way today? I, you know, I don't know if he works the same way today, but I know he still works today, and he still heals today. And it's not as scary or complicated as we make it. The guy walked over there and said, Lord, if you want to heal me, I believe you can do it. All right, I need to get to this fourth encounter. John chapter 4, we find the story of a woman at the well. <laughs> last, last summer, we did a seven-week series on this one story. I'm about to do it in less than seven minutes, so we'll see. I'm going to leave a lot out. Um, Jesus meets this Samaritan woman, and he engages her, which this, initially, you just need to acknowledge that this breaks all the rules. Um, She's a woman, she's a Samaritan, and there are well-established cultural divisions that a Jewish man must adhere to when it comes to who he engages, and he doesn't follow any of those rules. Uh, and it's just a small point that I want to say that Jesus changes everything about everything. He was leading us forward even back then to say, you know what, this whole thing, division between men and women, dumb. This whole, this whole thing between tension and divisions between races, dumb. I'm leading us forward, and I'm changing everything about everything, and he did it in one moment with this woman. And this is what he always was modeling for us, was he was restoring the things that have been broken. Are you with me? And so this is what's going on in this story. And this woman has seemingly had a hard life. She's had five husbands. She's living with a man who isn't her husband. And I think we can quickly just assess some things from what we know about culture, what we know about this woman's state that she's in, that we can just put a, we can put a word on her that I think a lot of us relate with at some at periods of, uh, of our life. And the word is that she's a broken woman. She's broken. 
And she comes to this well just to get water, and she has an encounter with Jesus. And this encounter changes everything about everything for her. It it, it radically changes her life. You got to understand that a woman in this and with, with this sort of lifestyle would have a reputation in her town. She would have a reputation of someone who would be, she would definitely be marginalized. She would be seen as an unworthy failure. She would be, she would be out. She would not be invited over for dinner, right? And with all that brokenness, this conversation reveals a few things. We're not gonna be able to read this because it's a long passage, but it reveals that she's, in, this, in all this, she's still somewhat of a seeker of God. She's got questions about God. She's got a, uh, she actually talks about the Messiah. She asks him about the Messiah. She asks him about worshiping one true God. There's, like, there's some pretty deep conversation going on with this woman between her and Jesus. And Jesus, Jesus says a few things. I'm going to read one of the verses. John chapter 4, verse 13. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks... Now remember, they're out of well, Right? By the way, Jesus is a well, and he was sitting on a well. It's like a well on a well. <laughs> Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty. She was thirsty for more. And eventually she comes to understand that Jesus is indeed this Messiah, and something powerful happens. The woman who is broken experiences breakthrough. She experiences a type of breakthrough that literally changes her. Her encounter with Jesus changes everything about her. It actually changed not just her personally, but it changed a lot of people. Check out what happens. Verse, a few verses down, verse 39 Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. How many more? Many more. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said, but now we've heard it for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. So broken to breakthrough, Jesus changes her. And then he uses her, think of this, who does he use? He uses her to go to this town that she has, probably. I mean, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm almost certain she has no influence. She is marginalized, she is an outcast, she is, has no respect, and he uses her of all people to go to that town. And God uses her to create a greater breakthrough than just in her life, but a breakthrough in that whole town sparks a revival. You know, what, you know what, I, what I love about it? Broken people are the most ripe for breakthrough. <laughs> They're the ones that are like, I need God. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to do more than you saw coming. He uses people who are broken. He uses any of us to bring a breakthrough that's greater than just our own lives, but he actually ushers in the kingdom through us. Are you with me? You never know how God is going to pour his his spirit out when breakthrough comes. So you may have already noticed this, but but there are four encounters. These four encounters with Jesus brought four different things. They brought the spirit, brought salvation. 
that brought healing and breakthrough. Now, if you've been with us for a while, since March, we've been praying for corporate prayers. We've been praying for the Spirit to be poured out on this place. We've been praying for salvations and evangelistic outpouring to occur in this place. We've been praying for healings of all types, physical, emotional, spiritual, whatever, mental healings to take place in this body. We've also been praying for personal breakthrough. You see, Jesus, these are the, whenever people encounter Jesus, these are the things he does. He breathes on them the Spirit. He seeks and saves the lost. He heals people and says, you are freed from your suffering. And he says, I will give you a water that will well up in you. It will become like a wellspring of life gushing out of you. Do you understand when something's gushing out of you? <laughs> there's going to be other people that get wet. <laughs> Maybe you need an encounter with Jesus, an encounter that trusts him with one of these four things we've talked about, or maybe all four of these four things, but here's what I know, is if anyone's paying attention, what did I say at the very beginning of the morning? Pay attention. Pay attention to what the Spirit is doing. Pay attention to the lyrics. Pay attention. If anyone is paying attention, I would say this, there is no way that not every one of us need one of these four things. Maybe all four of these four things. Every one of us do. And if we aren't paying attention, it just goes by us. And I'm saying maybe you need a fresh encounter with Jesus. Because some of us are living in fear and doubt right now. And we've been living in fear and doubt for a long, long time. And maybe you're like, well, I'm not, no, I'm talking about, we can put this in any category. Maybe fear and doubt just hits you in a certain way. But I know that so many of us live in fear and doubt when it comes to the Lord. We believe him, but we struggle to believe. And we live in fear and doubt. Some of us need salvation to come to our house. And, and maybe you are here today, and when I talk about a conviction coming on your heart, and it's like a burning inside of your heart, maybe that's you, and it has been for months. And it's time for you to say, you know what? It's time for me to, it's time for you to, to do like I did, to do, do like Zacchaeus does, and just surrender to the Lord. Allow him. He's, he's pursuing you. And if you're saying, maybe some of you right now are saying, it's not me, but it's someone in my house. Someone in my house right now needs the Lord. Well, then your job is to intercede and to do all you can to pray and join with the work of the Lord in the pursuit of that person's soul. Some of us need healing. Maybe you're hopeless, maybe you're desperate, and the word healing seems bigger than what you need, but I'm saying, if that's the one that connects with you, that's what you need. And some of us need breakthrough. Broken people are ripe for breakthrough. You know, the spirit coming creates moments like our friends whose, whose shoulder, which by the way, he said his shoulder wouldn't even lift up higher than this, and then he's praising Jesus the next Sunday. You know what I'm saying? Your spirit being poured out creates moments like that. It also creates moments where we catch new visions and new dreams and, and, our, and, our lot, and, and, and for this community. You know, I've had more people talk to me about the things they're seeing for this church community in the last few months than I had in the first five years. The Lord is giving us new eyes to see. The Lord's giving us eyes to see and he's giving you eyes to see. 
And by the way, I just got to say this, and then, I'll, and then I'll try and wrap this up. But the Spirit being poured out does not mean you don't already have the Spirit with you. Okay? The Spirit comes in us when we accept Christ. But what I'm telling you is that it, it's almost like it's, it's unleashed in us in a way in which we actually receive the power that he's talking about. And I think in order to receive that power, to see the Spirit move in new ways, there has to sometimes be, and I'm going to talk about this a few weeks for a long time, so I'm not going to talk about it much now, but there has to be a moment of repentance in which we say, like our friend did, Lord, I repent of my disbelief. I repent of my disbelief. Would you forgive me? Because I want more of you. So much of what God can do in our life is limited by things like fear and doubt. It's, rem- it's limited by the belief that we're at the end of the rope and we spent all we had and we got all the opinions we could possibly get from whether it be doctors or other experts and we find ourselves at the end. It's like that woman. Maybe for you today, it's like, if only I could touch his cloak. Maybe you need to hear today that your brokenness should no longer be a limitation to what God can do. God can bring more to your life than you could ever imagine, right? He can overcome anything. And since he can overcome it, and if God is in you, that means you can overcome it. You know, some of you feel like you can't get past that thing, that thing that, that, thing that you just keep coming up against, that brokenness that you face in your life. You can overcome it. Because you have a God who has overcome the world, and he's in you. So today I'm inviting you to encounter Jesus if you haven't figured it out. Allow him to breathe the spirit on you. Receive that. Allow him to give you the gift of salvation. Receive it. It's a gift. Allow him to heal you. Receive it. his sign that he's real. Allow him to give you breakthrough. Receive it. He doesn't want that thing to be the thing that stops you any longer. Would you bow your heads with me? God, today we pray for these things. We pray for more. I pray this over our church and I pray this over anyone in the room that is feeling you move in their heart right now. May we step in and encounter you. Lord, may we respond to you today. Would you give us a spirit of courage and hunger and thirst?